We're going to look at Acts 2 this morning. Acts 2. I preached uh, last week out of, Act, uh, out of Ephesians 4. I preached the week before on Ephesians 4. And basically the same thing as today. We learned last week that God gave gifts to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Today I'm going to talk about the works of the ministry, okay? Or the work of the ministry. And it's found in Acts 2, beginning in verse 42. So if you want to stand up, it's on the board. You can look at it. I usually don't put the scripture up there, but I did today. And the reason I usually don't is people quit looking at their Bible. I want you to see it in your Bible so you can mark it, so you can highlight it, so you can write a note in there. And here's what it says in the English Standard Version. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Let's pray for a second, for a minute. Father, Lord, we, we just kneel in your presence. And Lord, we pray that we will be a church that, Lord, worships you, that we would be found daily in worship of you. That, Lord, as we are found in worship as a body, that we will minister to one another, even to the point of selling our possessions to help someone in need. And, Lord, we pray that as we worship daily, not only by ourselves but together as a body, that, Lord, we would be that body and that we would tell your message so that daily you add to your church. And Father, we pray that as we do that, that we will enfold those folks into fellowship in the church, that they will become brothers and sisters to us, not in just word only, an idea only, but in reality. And Father, that as we are together as a family, that we will teach each other and help each other as we disciple ourselves and each other and and to looking like Christ. Help us, Lord, this day, that all this might happen, Lord, not by our strength, but by your strength. And so, Lord, we pray to you at every point, at every step, at every need, for only you could actually do any of this for us and in us and through us. And so, Lord, we humbly bow in your presence to ask this. And this day, Lord, I pray if there's people here who don't know you today, Lord, they would uh, surrender their heart and life to you. And, Lord, I pray... For those who have surrendered their heart and life to you, that this day, Lord, we might become more like Jesus, for we pray it in his name. Amen. Y'all be seated. Now, I, I, I kind of said it earlier, let me reiterate it. I'm not really going to say anything new today. I'm not going to say anything that you weren't already saying. I'm just going to say it in a different way. Does everybody understand that? Shake your head like this, just to give you, okay, more blood flow. Okay, good. And so... As I looked at things that, that you already had, everything there was great. I, I will tell you, when I first looked at the website many months ago now, the first thing was it was hard to get to and it was a little bit confusing. Church knew that as soon as I talked to them. And so we've got a new one, it's easy to navigate and all of those things. But the first sentence on it got my attention and hooked me in. And it said, we want to be a hospital for the hurting folks. And I thought, wow, that is absolutely it. And that is the heart's desire of Calvary, right? 
And, uh, and, and so I appreciated that. And so I, I don't want to change what we're about, but I do want us to be able to say it in a way that's easy to remember and easy to communicate. And let me also say something else. I did not go up on Mount Sinai, and God did not write with a finger of fire and carve it into rock. Neither did I get out of hammer and chisel and at the voice of God chisel this into any stone anywhere. Do you get my point? We can change it. It's okay. All right? And, and so, you know the only people that aren't changing are people in the cemetery, right? All right, yeah. So the rest of us, we've got to continue to grow, and that's going to be one of our points. We, we, we've got to continue uh, to, to develop and grow in Christ. I don't want to become that old preacher that's still preaching like I did in my 20s. I, I want to still have that same fire, but I hope that I've matured and learned and grown and that I, but I also, that I'm communicating to the generation today that needs to hear the message. And that, that puts something on me. But anyway, I'll quit philosophizing. Let me go to the next slide, brother. Uh, there we go. First of all, we are called by God, and all that should be one big thing. It looks like a title and two others. But we ought to be, we are called by God to become his disciple and carry his message. This is just an easy way to say what we're all about, Right? All right, I, I, I want to help you. Now, you notice it's CBC, Calvary Baptist Church, called Become Carry. That's why under it just says called Become Carry. But I want you to understand what we're saying by that. First of all, we are called by God. And, and, and I want you to also, uh, un, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say that in a second. Um, we are, obviously, this logo is about Calvary and, and Christ. Uh, we want it to be about Christ. But... But we are called by God. We are, we are called by God to become a disciple. Look in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And look at verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow me. That's the call of God. That is the call of God. Now, you already know that the next thing I'm, I'm going to say is to become his disciple. But, but notice that. That call, if anyone. If you hear God's call, that's God calling you. If you have that feeling, I need Jesus Christ to be my Savior. That's God, because the devil will never do that to you. And I don't care about you joining Calvary near as much, because I do care a little bit, but I don't care near as much as I do about you being called by Christ to become his disciple. Now, Calvary may, that's where I want you to come, that's where I want you to be part of the body, but God may call you to a different church, and, 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 and that's fine, I understand that. We're about kingdom work, not Calvary work, using that as a church name. I want the kingdom to expand, and you can't expand the kingdom of Christ if you're protecting your part of it. An army can't fight a war if each individual soldier is protecting himself. He gives himself for the whole, right? So we do that in the church, but the church does that for the kingdom. We're about kingdom work. Because here's the deal. We're not in charge of who comes here and who doesn't. We're not in charge of who gets saved and who doesn't. Who is? Now, you can use any metaphor you want, but he's the commander-in-chief. He's the coach on the sideline. He's the guy in charge. He's the boss. He's the one who assigns us our place. So he takes care of that. What is my job to do what God called me to do? 
What's your job? To do what God called you to do. And when you do that, God, who understands it all because he's designed it all, will put into place the pieces that need to be where they need to be. That means you ought to be paying attention and doing what God called you to do. And if you're not, then you better... Here's how we used to say it. Then you're not right with God. Now, those are strong words. And I said I was going to be positive, and that sounds negative. But you're positively in trouble if you're not doing what God called you to do. I just want you to understand that. And it, 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 I, would, I would be in error if I didn't at least let you know that. And so that call, I want you to notice about this. I, I, I read a devotional when I was a young man by Vance Havner on this verse. And, and it, it, it set it in my mind. If anyone would come after me. In other words, if anyone would follow me. If anyone would follow in my footsteps. What is the very first thing he has to do? Deny himself. This, the, the church today in America, much of, the, much of the church in America today, it's all about what the church can do for you. It's about the kind of music you like, the kind of preacher that is preaching. I've had a thousand people, and I use that metaphorically. I don't know how many it was, probably more than that. Well, I just wasn't getting fed. Your arms broke, feed yourself. Y'all aren't a bunch of babies sitting in high chairs and I'm the parent that has to spoon feed all of you. Open the word, get fed. Now I'm going to feed you best to my ability and I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to help you. And guess what? Some people are spiritual babies and need baby food in a high chair. But, it, but Paul writes, uh, it was at Timothy or Hebrews where he writes, some of you, you should be on meat and you still need milk. I mean, Paul was frustrated like that. And so what I'm saying is God has called you as much as he's called me. All of us are called by God. And he says in this verse, so if you want to follow me, first you've got to deny yourself. You've got to say, I'm willing to give up my preferences for God's glory. Let me say that again. I've got to be willing to give up my preferences for God's glory. Now, part of the problem is some of us don't know the difference between my preference and God's will. We want to make our preferences God's will. I've had a lot of people come to me and tell me what I ought to be doing. Not, not here. I'm, I'm just saying in my life. I've been doing this for 38 years, going on 39 years. So I've had a lot of opportunity. People tell me what God told them to tell me. And I listen. Trust me. If you got something to tell me, I say that and then people are scared to talk to me. I don't want to, I don't, I don't mean to do that. Because I do listen. Because you may be God's messenger to me. I may not listen to anybody else except you. So if you want to tell me, come tell me. But I'm going to put it through a filter. I'm not just going to say, oh, you're right. You know, just because you claim God spoke to you just might mean you ate pizza last night before you went to bed and you're having a delusion. <laughs> Same thing for me. I don't want you to believe me just because I said it. I want you to hold me accountable to this. And I'm going to hold you accountable to this. If you can't show me in the Word of God, show me how I'm violating some principle of the Word of God, then, then you and I are going to have a little bit more of a struggle. But I will listen. Obviously, I'm going to listen. But here's, here's the point. He says here in, in, in this verse, if you come after me, let him deny himself. And so therefore, I came to Christ at age eight. I understood what it meant to really surrender my entire life and lordship to him, even though I did that at eight to the best of my ability, but nobody sat me down, discipled me, even though I was being discipled in a 
in a very good general way, but a good way, but good, good people doing that. So let's just say it culminated about age 14 when I realized that God didn't want anything from me. He wanted everything from me. I mean, that's literally what he said to me in a, in a service where I was singing in the choir. and we, It was a big tent meeting and we were out on a college campus and conducting this revival. And I felt God say, you told me you would do anything, but I want, or every, uh, whatever I ask, but I want everything. I don't want just anything. So some of us come to Christ and say, well, I'll give you this, but I'm not going to give you that. No, God says all or nothing. To me, the Christian who does not unconditionally surrender to Christ is not a Christian. At the end of World War II, the emperor, the descendants of the gods, so they thought, the emperor of Japan sat on a ship's deck and signed papers of unconditional surrender. And then the United States, being who we are, helped them rebuild their nation. If you will unconditionally surrender to God... He'll make more out of your life than you can ever make of it yourself. I promise you that. But that's the call to deny myself for his better good, for his glory. Whatever he asks is what I will give. I used to have a little sign on my desk. I still got it. It's just sitting on my desk. And it just had three A's on it. And that didn't stand for AAA Auto Club. And it wasn't Alcoholic Anonymous stuttering. It was A, A, A. It stood for this. Anything, anytime, anywhere. And that's sort of the motto of my life. I got several mottos, and, and I meant to say this one first. <laughs> when, I, when I started high school, when I went to high school, it was 8th through 12th grade. I was 5'3", 85 pounds, 8th grade. So if you're in 8th grade and you're smaller than that, God bless you. Hang in there. In about 40 years, you'll wonder how to get back to that size. But anyway, I was the smallest, weakest thing in the whole gym class. I mean, they talk about bullying today. I go, pa. I was bullied. All right? But our coach, who was 6'11", almost, 6'10 and three quarters, he was a third-round draft pick, New York Knickerbockers, out of University of North Carolina. I've told you all about him before. But he used to yell that at us, and he made us run a mile. Very first day in gym class, we had to run a mile. I never ran except playing in the yard in my life. And all of a sudden, I had to run a mile. And all we had then was the Converse All-Stars, Chuck Taylors. Right, Evie? Amen, sister. I still have them, too. Not the ones I wore then, but I still got some. Evie likes them. Listen, and I ran that mile, but I didn't quit. And I didn't give up. But he would stand in the middle of that gym, and he would yell, Good, better, best. Never let it rest till the good's better and the better's best. Wow. That's just... A theme of my life. Good, better, best. Never let it rest till the good is better. The better is best. Listen, folks, I'm not here to say anything Calvary's ever done was bad. It's all been good. Let's make it better. I don't think any of us ever get to the best part. Because if you get the best part, you quit and you go back to being better. And then eventually you'll be good and then you won't be much. Because if you're not constantly striving to be better, you, you will just, by default, second law of thermodynamics, the law of entropy, all things tend from complex to simple, not simple to complex, which means evolution's impossible, but we won't get into that right now. If I put an apple up here, you come back next week, it'll be shriveled and rotten. It will not be a beautiful apple tree with apples on it. 
So anything we let alone will tend to decay. We have to constantly be moving forward. So, and all that we're doing is just that idea. We just want to make it better. We just want to improve it. We don't want to take anything away. We want to add to it. We want to keep going. Called by God. I know I spent a lot of time on this, but you've got to understand this. So here it says in verse 23, the last thing. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Well, number one, daily, every day. It's not a, not a Sunday thing. It's an everyday thing. But take up his cross. I've heard people say, oh, I've got a, I've got a cold. It's just a cross I've got to bear. No, you got a cold. Because the cross is not an instrument of torture, even though it's torturous. It's an instrument of killing. It's an instrument of death. And Jesus looks at us and he says, if you want to follow me, pick up something that's going to kill you, the cross, and follow me. To come to Christ is a call to die, not a call to live. Jesus, I came to give life, give it abundantly, and he does that. And I, listen, you can't kill me. You can put a bullet in my brain right now, and I'm not going to die. I'm just going to change addresses. I'm going to quit living at 215 Tuxedo Road, and I'm going to live at, I don't know, what it, the name, probably number one Clemson Avenue in, in heaven. I'm not sure, but <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just kidding, y'all. But I'm just going to change addresses. I'm going to move somewhere else. But let me say something else about called by God. You say, well... That just sounds extreme to me. Well, of course it does. It's radical. Follow God is not just, uh, I want to join the church and hear good preaching and listen to good singing and go to socials and have fun. It's a call to die for Jesus. Because if you don't die for Jesus, you're not saved. Number one, you've got to die at that point. You've got to die to yourself, die to everything you were, and be born again into a new kingdom, a new family, a new person. I'm not using words that are not found in Scripture here. Amen? If any man be in Christ, he's a brand new creation. The old things have passed away. All things become new. You are not what you were before you came to Christ. You're a new creation. But let me just illustrate being called by God one way. Uh, I served on the committee on committees at Southern Baptist Convention. I told this story somewhere. I hope it wasn't in here. But if it was, forgive me. You're going to hear it again. And, and you know your Southern Baptist when you understand that you have a group of people called a committee on committees. I mean, that's bad. I'm just telling you. And what we do on the committee on committees is nominate the people that will nominate the people that will be on committees. We nominate the committee on nominations. Who nominates everybody's going to be on another committee. So my job is to find one person in Virginia that I think would do really well at finding somebody to nominate people in Virginia to be on all these other committees. So I served one year, high honors, like, wow, that's amazing. I get to serve in the whole Southern Baptist Convention. So we went and I did it. And uh, I won't say it was a lot of fun, but it was, it was kind of fun. Somebody like me, a geek like me, that was great. So the next year, you do that one time. I mean, you know, they give you such an important job as that. You only get to do that once because we got to spread the blessing. So the next year, I'm sitting at my desk and the phone rings. Actually, I got an email. I got an email from the office of the president of Southern Baptist Convention. We get a new president every year. And we changed presidents the year I was on that committee. And I got this email that said, don't forget, your nominations for the committee on nominations it has to be in in a couple, three, four weeks. I'm like... I'm not on the committee on committees. No, asked me to do that this year. So I wrote back. I said, I'm afraid there's been a mistake. I served last year, but I'm not supposed to serve this year. 
I got a message on my phone. And it was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Brand new president said, uh, Pastor McCarr, this is Fred Luter. Uh, and he told me the pa- church he was the pastor of. He didn't say president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He said, uh, Pastor says it's church. I'm serving as president. And he said, I understand there's been a mix-up. But it would be a help to me, and I would appreciate it if you would serve this year on the Committee on Committees. I got a call from the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't know about you. I mean, you don't even know what all that means, but for me, that's a big deal. I mean, I, I was geeked out. I was like, I saved his phone number. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I got the phone number of the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Why? Because he was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, not because it was Fred Luter. When God calls you, you know what my response was? Because before I was like, I, was, I wasn't planning to go to the convention that year. It was in Houston, Texas. I didn't want to go to Houston, Texas. Not because I hate Houston. I just didn't want to go. I didn't want to take the time. I didn't want to take the effort. I didn't want to do all that. But the president asked me to spend the money, because they don't pay you for that, to do the work and to go. And, uh, and the sad thing is the other guy from the state had never done it. I had to call him tell him how to do it. So now I'm teaching somebody how to do something that I wasn't even supposed to have to do. But I did it. And I did it joyfully and willfully because the president asked me. When the guy who who stood on nothing and created everything you see calls you, you better answer the phone. And that's in salvation, obviously. And I mean it that way. But not only salvation, but discipleship. Because I want you to notice something else. Another place in Scripture, Jesus said, If you do not take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. A minute ago I said, If you don't have unconditional surrender, you're not a Christian. You thought that was harsh. I was quoting Jesus. That's what he said. If you will not deny yourself and take up your cross, you cannot be my disciple. So we're called by God to unconditional surrender, to become his disciple, to look more and more. I won't talk that long about everything because to me that's the starting place. But if you will write down or look at uh, Luke 14, just a couple chapters later. And Luke 14 and verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross, there it is, and cannot, and who does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Just in case you thought I was lying. The very words of Jesus. If you're not willing to die to yourself for his glory and his honor, he says you cannot be his disciple. Notice that. Cannot be. You know, we talk about getting saved and being a Christian and then becoming a disciple of Christ. That's backwards to how it happened in the Bible. They were called to be disciples and the Bible says in Acts, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Because they were disciples. They were followers of Christ and they looked like Christ. So they gave them the nickname, hey, y'all are Christ-like. It was a nickname. You look like Jesus. So like my dad, you know, my last name's McCarter. So anybody with an MC on their last name becomes Mac somewhere. That's my grandfather name. My kid said, first grandbaby's coming. You've got to pick a granddaddy name. And I don't want to be, and no offense to you and if you got this. I don't want to be Peepaw or Papu or... Just not me. It might be you. God bless you. It's fine. I just not me. And I said, tell them to call me Stuart. Well, nobody wanted them to do that. 
My kids are my wife. I tried to do that with my kids. My wife wouldn't let me. Now my, my, my kids won't let me do that with my grandkids. So my son-in-law said, if you don't pick a name, I'm going to pick one, which would be one I didn't like. So I said, okay. And I thought about it a second. I went, call me Mac. Because what? That's a nickname. Well, my dad was Mac. He worked in the Navy Yard, 38 years in the Charleston Naval Shipyard. Is in the Navy there. And I sold newspapers at the Navy Yard gate when I was in high school. And when they found out that I was Randolph McCarter's little son, you know what they called me? Little Mac. And the disciples were first called Little Christ in Antioch. Because the disciples looked like Jesus. You see, folks, I can't say it enough. Christianity's not coming to church on Sunday and sitting there and soaking all this up. Christianity is looking like Jesus. And we're supposed to be growing in him and changing in him. And so there's a very strong word. And so we're called to become his disciples so that in order that we can carry his message. Still in Luke, Luke 24. I just stayed in Luke to make this easy on everybody. Because I'm just reading verses that echo a lot of other verses. Luke 24, 45 to 48 says this. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And by the way, if you are a Christian, you are a witness of these things because Christ has come to you. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, which is the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The task that Jesus gave his disciples is to carry the message to the five billion people who've never heard the word. Those five billion are the responsibility of Calvary Baptist Church Stanton. Somebody say amen. I know I talked a long time and lost you there for a second, but that is what we're about. So what is our vision? How do you say that quickly and easily? Here's our vision. Calvary glorifies God by planting churches around the world. Now, we had a longer statement, but none of you could tell me what it was. I hope that you can commit that to memory, because it's not hard. Calvary, Baptist Church Stanton, glorifies God by planting churches around the world. Now, all that needs to be unpacked. We, number one, we glorify God. We'll, we'll talk about that. But that's the goal of our church. That should be the goal of any church. It should be the goal of any Christian. Glorify God. That is our task. That is our main task. That is what we do. But how do we do it? We do it by planning churches. Well, what do I mean by that? I do not mean rotary clubs. I don't mean rotary clubs. I don't mean social gatherings. I mean churches. And a church in the Bible is baptized believers coming together with the organization of having pastor, teacher, elders, bishops, whatever word you like to use, but, but having pastors and deacons to serve that church. That's the biblical order. That's the biblical thing. So we want to plant churches that will plant churches. We want to plant a church because the church is the vehicle that the, that the gospel is carried in. And so if you plant a church, that means people are getting saved and coming into the church. So that church can plant churches to get people saved to bring them into the church. Right? And where are we going to do that? Anywhere we can. Anywhere in this world we can. I'll do it in the Vatican if they'll let me in. If they'll let me have Sunday afternoon in the Vatican, we'll plant a church there. It'll be a Baptist church, trust me, but we'll go. Pastor McFarland that I served before I came here, he said, I'd preach in hell if I thought I could get back out. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. So I want to show you that to show you the next slide. Go on to the next slide. Everything, else I, everything I've said 
fits in that. There are four words, and if you understand this chart, you'll understand everything there is to know about church. You, can, you don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to get a doctor's degree. That's the church. God called us to do evangelism, and he called us to edify one another, and he calls us to do it individually and corporately. Okay, now the arrows make it make sense. I'm called to evangelize. That means individually that I go to someone. I'll pick Bobby because he's a guy. I was going to pick my wife, but just to make the model better. That means if Bobby's lost and I know Bobby is my friend, it's my job to tell him the gospel. So I do evangelism. And let's say he comes into faith and he becomes a Christ, a Christian. Now I'm responsible to edify him, which means to build up to teach him about Jesus, to show him what a Christian does. And that's my responsibility because I helped give birth to him. But the church is the one who births babies. And so we also do these things corporately. And so the church together goes together to do evangelistic things together. Whatever it is, you know, the passion play or picnic in the park. That may or may not be our main purpose for going, but... But whatever it is we're doing, one of our purposes is to do evangelism. But the church also edifies corporately, which makes sense. Sunday school, CTI, home groups, these different things. Like I said, I I could unpack this for hours and hours and hours because I do it a lot. And I'm writing stuff and doing this all the time. But once you understand that, you get it. The church isn't supposed to be doing anything but that. Anything doesn't fit in there, we ought not be doing anyway. It's that simple. Now, if you can get that simplicity in your head, we're going we're gonna to get way down the road really fast. Because that is what we are supposed to be doing. It is just that simple. And I want you to see, though, this expanded. And this is how we describe it in an expanded way. So if you can put that up there. Good, you, good, it's split out. First of all, change people grow. That's discipleship. If God's changed your life, you ought to be growing in Christ, right? So they devote themselves, now back to Acts 2 that I read at the beginning. In verse 45, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. You ought to be learning what it looks like to be like Christ, right? Secondly, everyone needs others. Fellowship. Listen, I can't do this by myself. I need you and you need me. And you need each other. And so verse 43 says, and the fellowship. Here's the problem. Baptists think fellowship is having supper with the casserole. I told you all about casseroles last week. Fellowship is helping each other look more like Jesus. But it's in Acts 2.43. Jesus people serve people. If you look like Jesus, if you're a Jesus person, then you ought to be serving other people. That's sacrificial care. They were selling their possessions, belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were ministering to one another. If you're dependent on the pastor to minister to everybody, the church better not be bigger than 120 people. If it's bigger than 120 people, you better have some more help. And in fact, if it's 120, you better have some help. Because there's no way a paid man can serve that many people the way they need to be served. Ministry happens person to person, not pulpit to pew. You've got to understand that. Structure, Sunday school. We'll come back to that in days to come. Calvary's purpose, humble people pray. We got to pray. In verse 42, they were devoted to the prayers. By the word, the word devoted in Acts 2, it means so wed to it, dedicated to it. It molds them, it makes them, it describes them. It is what they are committed to, to death. Worship, wholehearted worship. 
praising God, verse 47. Because I think saved people ought to be thankful to the God who saved them, right? And so we are worshipful people. And then rescued people find people. If the bridge is out and your car goes over and somehow you pull a movie stuntman stunt and jump out the window, grab onto the ledge, drag yourself back up over that washed out bridge road, do you just go home? Or do you stand in the road and start doing this to cars coming? Rescued people rescue people. We go find people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Now, remember my simple chart, evangelism? What comes under that? Edification. What's over here? Individual, corporately. I want you to notice something. Out of those six purposes, the top one is one thing. The bottom one is five things. Okay? I want you to notice that for a reason. Because most churches emphasize evangelism. And if all you emphasize is evangelism, you're not going to maintain that very long what do you mean by that well when I was talking about edification and leading somebody to Christ and helping them grow in Christ there's a little saying I was taught by the wisest man in the world and it goes like this the body that bears and the breast that feeds is in the same body if somebody comes to know the Lord it's our job to teach them but let's continue with that analogy let's say Janice and I got married and and we'll go 10 months after we got married, just make it safe. She has a baby. <laughs> Praise God, right? Okay, everybody's snickering. It was, it was uh, almost two years, I'll just tell you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. 10 months later, she has another baby. And y'all go, oh, oops. <laughs> well, that's okay, it'll be all right. 10 months later, she has another baby. Somebody's going to pull me aside and say, dude, you're killing your wife. And they'd be right. Unless God just created you Superwoman, Wonder Woman since the movie's out to do that. If a church only does evangelism, it's going to become unhealthy. And it takes healthy people to birth babies. By the way, it's easier to birth babies than to raise the dead. So therefore, when we birth a baby, and these are not like you got to do one or the other, but we need to give equal weight to ministry, fellowship, discipleship, prayer. What did I miss? Fellowship and fellowship. We got, we got to do all of those things. Right? Does that just make sense? So... What we want to do is make sure we are getting healthy while we're birthing babies. That's just my idea. Because, listen, the vision of this church is to glorify God. How are we going to do that? By planting churches. Where are we going to do it? In all the world. So I'm not saying let's not do it. I'm saying let's do it in a healthy way. Now, everything I've just said was in the Constitution when I got here. I'm just saying it a different way to help you understand it. You still with me? You haven't given up on me yet? Honey, would you hand me my phone? I forgot I needed it. I left it down there. I got something on my phone. Thank you. Um, and, and, and while she's doing that, thank you, sweetie. I hope, I hope it's still up. I'm sure it is. 
I didn't erase it. Yeah, it is. Um, I want you to notice one other thing about that. If we are called by God, under called, we can understand worship and prayer. Because we're being called by God, we're communicating with God, right? If we are becoming his disciple, we see discipleship and fellowship there. Because fellowship is helping each other look like Jesus. Discipleship is really teaching somebody to look like Jesus. I know that's a nuance, but it's true. Discipleship is intentionally like teaching you. Fellowship is more we get together, but we don't get together to talk about football. We get together to help each other look more like Jesus. To carry his message is evangelism and ministry. Because we can do evangelism through ministry. And edification, the building of the body, will always lead to having babies. Having babies will not always lead to edification. So if we emphasize being healthy, we're going to have some babies. Because if you're healthy, that's what happens. If, if you're not doing that, there's something wrong. And I, I want to give you something. And I hope I can read this without crying. Um, I've never heard it or read it without crying. But growing up in a Navy town, pastoring churches in Navy towns up, up till then, we got retired Navy guys here. I've had the opportunity to go to the retirement ceremony of a, of a lot of Navy officers. And if you've never been there, at the end of that ceremony where they talk about all the things, all his duty stations, everything he did, his friends get up, talk about what a good guy he was, blah, 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 blah. And then at the end, they read this poem. But what they do is they line... They line a bunch of sailors up like a gauntlet. And the man comes and they blow a pipe which says, come aboard. And he goes and he stands in the center. And they read this poem. And it goes like this, called The Watch. And I will try not to cry because I always do. And I'm not reading this as if you're the guy retiring because, by the way, I can't find retirement in the Bible. You don't have an excuse. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how sick you are, how well you are. Say, well, I, I can't get out. Can you pray? Because God can certainly get out. So you've got a ministry. You can do something. Trust me, there's not anyone of us that cannot do something. And so we need to find out what God called us to do. I want you to hear this as the ones who are doing the work. But listen to it. It's called The Watch. For 20 years, this sailor has stood the watch. I start crying right there because he was faithful. While some of us were in our bunks at night, this sailor stood the watch. While some of us were in school learning our trade, this shipmate stood the watch. Yes, even before some of us were born into this world, this shipmate stood the watch. In those years when the storm clouds of war were seen brewing on the horizon of history, this shipmate stood the watch. Many times he would cast an eye ashore and see his family standing there, needing his guidance and help, needing that hand to hold during those hard times. But he still stood the watch. He stood the watch for 20 years. He stood the watch so that we, our families and our fellow countrymen, could sleep soundly in safety each and every night knowing that a sailor Stood the watch. Today we are here to say, Shipmate, the watch stands relieved. Relieved by those you have trained, guided, and led. Shipmate, you stand relieved.
we have the watch. And they blow a pipe that says, officer leaving the ship. And he spins around and he walks through that gauntlet of sailors who salute him as he leaves the watch. Friend, let me tell you something. I doubt God copies us, but they're copying God, I think. Because when we get to heaven, God's going to say, you were relieved. But he doesn't tell me that when I turn 65. He doesn't tell me that when I turn 75. I still got to stand the watch. And if you're breathing, and I didn't learn this in school. My daddy taught me this when I was a little boy. As long as you're breathing, God has a purpose for your life and a reason for you to be alive. And you've got to figure that out and do it. But some Christians are like Colin Kaepernick. When revelry is blown, they just sit on the bench. We get mad at him because he wouldn't stand for the national anthem and the flag. And as that poem so emphasizes, so many men and women have given their all so that we can sleep soundly in safety at night. And so we get angry. But a hymn writer said it in a Christian way. He said, Should I rest while others fight? Should I be carried to glory on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through troubled seas? No, there's a job for me to do do before the day is done. There's something for all of us. And so, Calvary, I'm just calling us to be called by God become his disciple and carry his message starting in Stanton going to around the world.